listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Fret Files podcast. I just caught Nat trying to pre-read the questions. There's no peeking. This is like a test. Yeah, strict fair boating. This is like a this, this is like a, a, a surprise test. You can't it's extemporaneous. You don't get to study for this. Well, sometimes there's wacky grammar and yeah, text. you have to. You just Stuff. have to. You just have to read a little bit ahead in the moment and uh, fix it. Mm. Uh, okay, do your speech. It's the show. That's the Fret Files podcast. The th- this is the thirteenth most popular guitar repair podcast in Latvia. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> well, it, I was thinking it's probably not the thirteenth in America, dude. So no, I don't know how you well, can finish this. Uh, we're big in big Belarus, in Lapland, and we're nice. and we have a large uh, following in several uh, unknown countries. Yeah. It's the Fret Files podcast. It's uh, all about guitar science, loofery, luthiery, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. My name's Eric Daw. 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars and sitting beside me is, is this evening's co-host, Nat. Hello. Greetings. I will read the listener's submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, yeah. drawing on his experiences as a professional luthier. Yeah. What'd you call me? A guy said that to you the other night. I was right there. He said, so uh, are you a luthier? And it, I think there was a slight pause. Yeah. So anyway, what have you been working on? What's on your bench? What cool guitars are coming through? I know there's great guitars all the time. Oh, working on some custom builds and, uh, you know, just a few, like, setups and random things. What else have I been I've been working on that. I had a lot of pickup orders, custom pickups. Oh, yeah. You've been helping me with that. Yeah, weird, <clears throat> uh, semi-obscure ones, right? That's why they've come to you. Yeah. And What else have I been working on? A uh, neck reset on an old Martin. How old? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, old enough? Yeah. Old enough to need a neck reset. Yeah. Uh, what I got to reset the neck on your guitar. I've got your guitar. Hang- I've got it hanging there, staring which, me in the yeah, face. Which, so that I, which one? So that I. Uh, <laughs> and that has a few guitars that have been darkening my shop. For Basket a while. cases. See, the the closer you are to me, the longer your repair takes. I want you to understand. Yeah, you got to be patient. So what? you're the you're really in the inner circle because uh, your guitar your guitars take forever. <laughs> yeah, they're dusty. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they're pretty dang dusty. Yeah, um, what type of guitars you, what kind of custom guitars are you oh, making? Oh, uh, you know, just the T style. The, okay. Yeah, right. I mean. Well, I'm sure people want to know. Yeah, so if, you, if you're if you at all interested in the guitars I make, you can sign up for the mailing list and get notifications when, when they're done. I don't do custom orders anymore. I just make the guitars and then offer them for sale. So if you want to see what I'm, the the guitars I'm making, you can. Sign up for my uh, email list over there at pinupcustomguitars.com. Right. So they're oh, custom yeah. guitars. They're just not made to order. Yeah. Isn't that confusing? <clears throat> not to me. Once I sort it out. What exactly is custom about it if you can't custom order it? I don't know. Hmm? Hmm? Well, it's made from a sh- with care and love. Right. A small shop. That's all. Yep. Uh, I was totally unprepared for the show here. I just started clicking buttons and talking, but um, we do have some calls. Maybe we can if I maybe if I start clicking things here. It's a pretty good recovery there. Yeah, season pro with the <clears throat> podcast stuff too. Yeah, for a minute. Let's see what we got here. 
Oh, oh, here it comes. Incoming call. Incoming. Can't wait. Yeah, this is Rhett from yeah, Rhett's Frets. Yeah. Hey, Eric, this is Rhett from Rhett's Frets. Um, I just Memphis? wanted to call and say thanks for answering my question on the Nashville. last one. Nashville. Uh, I realized uh, right after I wrote that, the episode after that, you actually had the um, the ad sponsorship for the heated neck iron. So uh, that is on the on the buy list. That's something I'm probably going to get here pretty soon. Um, my question is about um, bridge pin hole reamers. So I have a customer's guitar that had a broken, just like a plastic bridge pin. And it doesn't seat very well inside of the bridge. And I was able to get it to seat pretty well just by increasing the size of the hole slightly with like drill bits. Um, but it didn't come out like quite as accurate as I have would have liked. Uh, it, it sits okay, but not like super well. Um, so I just wanted to know, do you use like a certain reamer? I know that Stumac has a few. Um, yeah. Anyways, well, what would be your process for, uh, for getting those bridge pins to sit down right? Um, I appreciate the show and I look forward to, um, Hearing what you say. But right on. Take care. Thanks, Rhett. That's a good one. Very technical. Appreciate it. Yeah, tapered reamer really is the tool for the job on that. So if you don't have one, get one. They have, uh, I guess there's a few different um, tapers, right? Like the the angle of degree, <clears throat> right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but let's see what Stumac sells here. So this is like a fretboard radius that you just the nerds would just have to know that this is a you know fifty two threads per inch taper or whatever. Well, it's it's a um, oh my gosh, they're proud of their reamers. Holy oh yeah, crow. Yeah. Peg hole reamer. Uh, that's for peg hole. We're we want um, yeah, that's right. Okay, well, they have two degree taper, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that ain't much. That's what it is. Now, um, this is not the one I have. I'm looking at it. Uh, Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Uh, Yeah, it's just a little wood-handled reamer, but my goodness, I'm sure I didn't pay this this crazy amount of money for it. Maybe you bought it approximately 25 years ago. Yeah, that could be. I've had it for a long time. I've had it for a very long time, but just get a good tapered reamer. Uh, you know, one that's specifically made for guitars is good. I think that there's a, I think there's like a five degree and a two degree that they, they sell bridge. Yeah. So they have a bridge pin. Same outfit does, huh? A bridge pin hole reamer. Oh, that's specific to bridge pin holes. It's specific for bridge pin holes. Yeah. Well, that's awful nice of you to provide a shopping service consultation. Oh, they have three degree and five degree. So, like, three degree would be uh, the Gibson style, and five degree fits Martin bridge pins. Is that right? Yeah, they're, yep. they're different. You got to be different. They're different. But um, I have one reamer. Like, <laughs> this is how professional I am. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what the, what taper it is. It's probably four. But it works. Four degrees. I right use it on all kinds of guitars, and it certainly works. So there you go. I don't know if that's much help, but. Other than to say, yes, you need a reamer. Yes, there's no way around it, and that's the tool. That's the tool for the job, absolutely. Good one. Do you Mm -hmm. think you have any more of them uh, telephone calls? Yeah, we do. I don't know who this one's from. Hello, Eric. This is Warren in Alberta. It's Warren in Alberta. I have a question for you concerning neck resets and really the part where sometimes you need a shim beneath the uh, fingerboard extension after resetting the angle of the neck there and just had a few questions around that um, because I've been working on a couple neck resets and really just kind of on some cheaper harmonies and things like that but uh, most of them need quite a bit of angle put back into the neck and Mm -hmm. as a result you know you've got a gap under the fingerboard extension above the sound hole of maybe 50,000, 60,000 in the more extreme case and that's probably a pretty extreme case but the the guitars you work on, just wondering, what's your call? When do you decide to put a shim in there? Do you allow, say, ten thousandths of a gap that you can kind of uh, clamp and glue down and live with that drop-off? Or 
you know, do you have some other tolerance that you work with? So that would be the first question is, like, how do you decide if you need a shim, first of all? And the second question would be, um, what materials do you use for that shim? I mean, do you use the same material as the fingerboard itself, or do you have another wood that kind of likes to behave better when you're making shims that tends to work better under there? Um, I The one I'm working on right now is a maple, and it's uh, reasonably good. Um, and then do you take that shim all the way from the end of the fingerboard back to the junction uh, of the neck joint, you know what I mean, like the whole length of the extension? Or do you sometimes... Um, have it a little shorter so that at the front there, the, the fingerboard is actually contacting the top, and as you go back, the shim picks up the slack. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, just outline how you go about making them. I'm, I'm assuming it's a combination of hand tools and power tools, but I can spend hours doing these by hand, and any tips that you might have on that would be would be excellent. So anyway, those are my questions, and thanks for the great podcast, and I hope you keep Keep on, keep on keeping on and keep it going. So I really do enjoy it. Take care. I'll try. I'll try to keep on trucking. Let that me take my glasses off. Nice of it. I'm seeing too much. Seeing too much detail. Thanks, Warren. Uh, the um, yeah, that is a pain, man. Look, there's there's a reason why neck resets are you know four or five six hundred dollars, depending on how <clears throat> how much work needs to go into it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> big pain in the rear end. So the fingerboard extension, um, as it goes over, you know, as it leaves the neck and then it goes over the the, the body or the soundboard, right, yep. on an acoustic guitar, uh, will traditionally have a little bit of fall away. So yep. what you want is a pretty straight neck up until where the neck meets the body, and then the fingerboard extension will will fall off just a little bit. Not a lot. You don't want it to look like a dog leg, right? And that's what'll happen if you do a neck reset without doing a wedge-shaped shim under there to elevate the fingerboard extension <clears throat> and so that it will match the new angle that the neck is okay. at, right? Okay. So that's a little bit bit of background on this question. Does that make sense to you? Well, yeah, and that I th- that was essentially the first question. Yeah. Right is how do you how do you get that angle right and what if there were a gap? He also wanted to know at what point do you shim? Maybe what point wouldn't yeah. you shim? Which is kind of a tricky judgment call. Yeah, without. and it is. It's an it's entirely a judgment call. And um, I'll tell you what the the way that I do it is um, by looking at it. I mean, I know that that's not very scientific, and I'd like to be able to tell you, oh yeah, you you know fifty thousand. No, I. Work it and work it and then dry clamp it together and look at it and maybe put a little bit of uh, stress on the neck with my arm just to simulate string tension. Oh, that's right? smart. Yeah. You can put a, uh, when doing a neck reset, it's not a bad idea to put a, um, a cl- uh, they, they have uh, jack clamps like for gluing, for gluing broken braces. It's like a scissor jack thing. And how can I explain this? So when you're doing a neck reset, the strings are off the guitar, okay? There's a few things that happen when you put strings on an acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. One is the neck bends. The other is that the top actually raises just a little bit. Yeah. So when you're you're trying to align the neck with with the strings off... um, you're not really seeing where the uh, where the top where the top is going to be. So um, I'll usually put a, a little scissor jack, you know, a, a a brace jack inside the guitar. After you know measuring the top deflection and seeing what where it where it's going to be with strings, and then I'll shape the the heel of the neck to accommodate for the right angle. And then I'll dry clamp everything together and look at it. Whoa. And if there's too much fall away, then I have to make a custom shim under the fingerboard extension so that the fall away is not as much, so that the fingerboard extension is raised a little bit. And uh, I, it's 
nice when you, like if you've got an ebony fingerboard, it's nice if you use ebony. I've used other woods too. I mean, if you, you know, you can use something that works and then dye the edges. Okay. I mean, yeah. you can, you know, it's not the end of the world. And I typically, <clears throat> you know, it's going to be a wedge a fair, and really it's, it's, it's incredible how thin these wedges need to be. Yeah. So how are you making those things? On a belt sander. With your fingertips, just yeah, microns I'll, away from the spinning belt, well, huh? So um, what you can do is use double-sided tape and stick your mm-hmm. what you're making a wedge out of onto a flat surface like a piece of wood or something. Yeah. So that you're not just trying to hold it with your fingers. Wow. Right? So yeah, um, hand tools, you know, chisels. Uh, and uh, uh, belt sander and patience and time and luck and luck a little bit of that and uh, I don't usually go all the way back to where the fingerboard meets the neck there's usually like I'll usually start about an inch away from the neck oh yeah so the fingerboard is actually where it, where the neck meets the body, the fingerboard is meeting up with the top, and then the uh, then the shim lifts the fingerboard extension from there. Boy, this is dry. How does anybody listen to this podcast? Well, it's it's pretty. Uh, it's some good meat and potatoes. Yes, Lutheran. So. I think this is this is it, man. If you yeah. don't like this, then. I know, Sorry. right? Well, and it's not the kind of thing, it's so visual, too, that it's hard well, to... I, I think you got through it all, and I think... I, um, I yeah, know, but and, I have three... Like you were saying, that's why this stuff costs some money, because this is about as involved and tricky, and... Um, I'm going to have to raise my rates just for just for explaining it. Oh, yeah. Now, now everyone can do it. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hello! I am interested in Eric's opinion on how to properly repair a small wood chip on the back of the neck of a nicely worn 1966 Telecaster. Mm. Ooh. Sounds great. The neck was apparently hit by or accidentally hit against a sharp pointy object sometime during its life with a previous owner. In the process, a small chunk of maple came off and left a cavity roughly the size and depth of Telecaster pickguard screw head close to the dot marker at the third fret. He's using a reference that we'll know, right? (laughs) I like it. Yeah. The small cavity was filled with some type of epoxy that is since darkened to an amber color but remains translucent. Oh, man, this is good. As you can imagine, the repair is very noticeable, although technically still fulfilling its initial purpose. Lately, I've been wondering, I've wondered how this repair could have been done more aesthetically pleasing. How would you go about this? Drill a hole and plug it with a solid piece of maple that matches the next grain pattern? Whoa. Try the, the, uh, then some carving and sanding. By the way, the lacquer on the back of the neck has been competently, uh, completely worn off due to constant use during the last decade. See, that's why I'd like to read these just a little bit. So there is no need to take any original remaining finish into consideration. That's a good consideration. I won't try any of this myself as I have no skills to do so. I, I however, would feel more confident knowing your opinion before I decide to contact a local luthier smiley face. Thanks a lot for your thoughts, effort, and time. That was a good one. All mm-hmm. the best to you and your family. That's from mm-hmm. Jan Frederick. We don't mm-hmm. know where he's from. Oh, we, uh, I used to. Do I, I would know. Netherlands? Yeah. Holland? Thank you, my friend. I tell you what, uh, it's the kind of thing that, I, does he say that it's smooth to the touch? I think He, he says it, it fulfills its initial purpose. It's yeah. fine. It looks a little bit off. How could you do it more aesthetically pleasing? Should you? <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Meh. Are you familiar with this? There's a Japanese term for the beauty of imperfection. Oh, yeah, man. Wabi-sabi. 
Yeah, I love you, some wabi-sabi. You heard that term? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. It's the view. Let me see what the... The, the internet defines it as the view or thought of finding beauty in every aspect of imperfection in nature. Uh, I think it also carries a lot of, uh, it needs to be worn in, loved. Yeah. You know, like. It's, a, it's about the aesthetic of things in existence that are imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete. So like a. Impermanent. So like a chip out of a teacup Out or of something. a 66 Telecaster though. So, but the damage is done. The hole is there. It's been filled. It's smoothed. I'd I'd probably leave it. That's me. Now, that's just me. If if you if it bothers you and you want it better, um, it can't be made perfect again. So get that out of your mind. Not not that that was in your mind, but just you know. I'm not willing to let go of that easy on. I've, I'm with I've, you. I've I've talked to people who expect me to be able to put their guitar in a time machine and undamage it. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no. But if you break a piece of wood... Oh, no. Don't say it. You cannot unbreak it. People expect some kind of weird alchemy uh, wizardry that you can unding a neck, but you can't. So, So all we can do is repair it. It's already been repaired, but it's not very aesthetically pleasing. Man. So... In order to undo this, you're going to have to dig it out of there, right? Which is just damaging it worse. Yep, definitely so you don't could, drill, right? Well, you could. You could, Ugh, you could drill it. it and plug it Ugh. with a piece of maple, but then it's, you, yeah. it's probably not going to... It's, it's going to remain unsatisfying, but, yeah. but we've all had a great... Philosophical lesson here that has applications to other aspects of our lives. I guess so. If you ask me. (laughs) It could be made to look better, certainly. The only way to really do that is um, is to dig it out of there and do more damage and then fill it with with maple or, or, uh, I don't know how deep the thing is. You know, you could could fill it with some kind of... About the size and depth of a Telecaster pickguard screw. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. That's all you got to know. <clears throat> but, you know, if the wood, if the surrounding wood is worn, that typically will turn kind of a graphite color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you're going to put a new maple plug in there, you know, making this all match is going to be very difficult. I know. Without disturbing the the wear, right? The well, natural wear. Uh, so the look of it is never going to be right. You might as well just leave it. That's what I'm saying. But it could be it could be filled with wood. Yeah, if you unless you did a, crazy yeah. museum level yeah. efforts. But yeah, well, I am gonna apply that to my life right now. Do some wabi sabi to my soul. Right. Why don't you uh, apply that to the next question? Here we go. Hi, Eric. I have a question about shimming bolt on necks like on a Fender <clears throat> we've, guitar. Okay, we've covered this. I think. I know, maybe he's got a new angle here for shimming the, see what I did. Is there any truth to the danger of using a business card versus a full pocket shim? Mm. Vintage fenders, from what I understand, used business cards. No, they didn't. Like from the factory? No. Is that what he's They didn't use business cards. Yeah. Have you ever seen a hump in the neck because of this? Also, is shimming merely done if you run out of adjustment room in the saddle? Or is there a more complicated geometry involved affecting playability and action over the entire neck? How about the brake angle The brake angle over the saddle? I have experimented with shimming, and I swear that the playability changes even if the saddle can be adjusted appropriately. Thank you for all your hard work. Your podcast is awesome. Jonathan in Toronto. Thanks, Jonathan. So the only reason to shim the neck on a fender is um, <clears throat> if the uh, the neck angle isn't right, right? So, so in the course of setting up a fender, right, if you were adjusting the saddles and you've run out of room, right, so you lower the saddle and you lower the saddle and it's still, the action is still too high, then you've got to put a shim in the neck pocket to correct the neck angle to actually you know, kick the neck back a little bit, 
right? So, um, is that right? Hold on. You know, it's funny without it, like without a guitar sitting in front of me, sometimes I second guess my, my own, <laughs> my own thoughts. I do, I do, th- I never, th- I never have to explain a lot of this stuff to anybody. I just right. do it. And, and you've got a guitar in front of you. Yeah. Anyway. So that's, you know, the reason is, the reason to shim a neck isn't just to, to see if it plays better or worse one way or the other. It's a, it's an actual geometric problem that, you know, you're having because the neck is not at the right angle. So uh, if you're able to set it up with a shim or without a shim, and either way is acceptable, then don't put a shim in there. Right? Oh, yeah. And no, Fender didn't use business cards from the factory. They had little thin, thin little uh, pieces of, uh, I think it's called Forbon. It's the the, the same material that they make uh, bobbins out of for pickups. The wow, top and the top and bottom, tiny bit spongy. It's isn't it? like a it's like a vulcanized fiber thing, press, almost almost press like board, almost like bakelite, but different. Oh. But super thin little pieces of uh, I think it's called I think it's called Forbon. I don't know, but not business cards. <clears throat> but it's a modern idea that um, if you're going to shim the neck, you've got to have a. a a shim that's the full length of the pocket. Yeah. That, that tapers from, you know, the width of a piece of paper all the way up to, like, the width of, you know, maybe two business cards. Right. Right. Through, through the entire, transferring the magic energy yeah. through the entire neck pocket. But really, it's not necessary. I mean, a lot of, there's there's companies that just throw a guitar pick in there for a shim. Oh, yeah. There's humans that do that, too. Well, yeah, but I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I could tell you the brand name of this guitar company that just throws guitar picks in there, and they, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, I know that guitar company. So they're shipping guitars that can't, that out of the factory are out of adjustment. That, they, they can't be yeah. adjusted correctly. Well, yeah, the, the, without they a won't shim. play correctly without wow. a shim. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, th- Acoustic guitar companies do this too. Thankfully, oh, no. with electric guitars, you can just put a shim in there. With with, with when it happens on, on, neck, a, yeah. on acoustic guitars, you have to take the damn neck off. So, uh, what's what what are we getting at here? What's really his question? What about the brake oh, brake angle over the saddle? Yeah, it all has to do the with the playability changes, and yeah, it all has to do with he thinks it changes even if the saddle wasn't could have been adjusted as is. There's something about it. He likes shimming up the neck in some cases, even if it didn't need a shim to be technically correct. Yeah, if it doesn't need a shim. So I like to have, <clears throat> um, I like to have pretty low saddles. If we're talking about like a Telecaster style guitar, yeah. or or Strats too, I like this. If the saddles are sitting way too high, then. Uh, yeah, and I think I think that's what's going on. Is he's saying, you know, I kind of like it. I like that high angle or the high saddles. Anyhow, it's if if you can get it to play right without a shim, then that's my recommendation. Absolutely, that's the bottom line. Yeah, why mess with it? Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, Eric. Hope all is well in the Gem State. That's Idaho. How else could it be? Here we have Idaho. We could do a couple rounds. I have three headstock repair questions for you. Oh, no. Feel free to answer any or none of them at your discretion. That's okay. a dangerous <laughs> proposition there, buddy. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, especially since you've covered these in some part in the past. I'll include some photos for reference. I don't have those in front of me. Question number one. I have a Gibson Les Paul with an amateur headstock repair. Is there any other kind that might be one year old or 40 years old? I have no idea. The headstock repair, I assume. There's still a gap where the uh, where the wood did not come completely together. I have a hard time even saying that. For example, I can slip the corner of a piece of paper at least one-eighth inch deep into the crack, and I don't know if there are any other voids. This is a Halloween episode. Uh, would it be a... Let's see. Where am I? Is it a good idea? 
to work some more glue into the crack and attempt to clamp it together or at least fill the gap. If so, what glue would you recommend, given that I don't know what glue was used in the original repair? That's number one. Question number two, I have another Gibson. Let's take these one at a time. You're not just going to hold it all in your hand? No. I guess I would need more information. Um, For example... Can if you wiggle the headstock a little bit, are you seeing movement? Yuck! Across the brake. I mean, it, you know, this There's is like a, a this is like a bone that has set Ugh. improperly, and you you're gonna have to re-brake it. Oh snap! But uh, did he say this is an Epiphone or something? No, it's what did a he Gibson say it Les Paul. Is? Same thing. Same but thing. Cost more. Um, <sighs> this is why. Let me just tell you. Broken headstocks on Gibson guitars devalue the guitar by, like, 50%. And this is why. Because they're always done in somebody's yeah. garage. Amateur. With a can of, of 20-year-old whatever glue was sitting on the shelf and, uh, and like, a, you know, a clothespin. Like, oh, that'll be enough pressure. Yeah. So often this is amateurly done. And you kind of get one shot at doing this right, Ugh. because um, it, when you use tight bond, when you don't align things, when you um, don't clamp it right, when you don't use enough pressure to get the gap closed, then this compounds the problem, because now, not only you have a broken headstock, but you've got one that's coated with glue that that um, makes the problem worse. Because if we go to glue it again, glue won't stick to the old glue. It wants to stick to wood. So what do you do? You find some really nice kid who really wants to play guitar. And you say, kid, how would you like a free guitar? <laughs> now, don't, don't mind that the back of the the, it's got a big crack in the back of the headstock. Yeah, don't let it fall over. This will play for you. Sometimes guitars are a lost cause. You can, Okay, but uh, this is what I do for a living, right? So yes, it can be repaired, but this is the deal. When they've been improperly repaired, uh, it really compounds the problem. It really makes it into a worse problem because yeah. now the only real way to fix this is to break it open clean up all the old glue, and fix it right again. And, oh my gosh, it's just a way bigger problem than a broken headstock. That's an onerous task, man. All right, question number two. Question number two, I have another Gibson with the headstock completely detached. This Does is, Gibson Is Gibson aware of this problem? Yeah. Yeah, they giggle on piles of money. Uh, there was a failed repair in the past. Is there any other kind? And I believe yellow glue was used. You've mentioned that all of that yellow glue needs to be removed. Yep. Yeah, just recently before attempting another repair. What tools, techniques, or even chemicals do you recommend for removing the old yellow glue? Yuck. Uh, like a dental pick and sandpaper and uh, an X-Acto knife. Yuck. And you just have to physically remove it. There's no shortcut. Yeah. Okay, question number three. For a detached headstock like the one I'm describing, would you attempt to just use glue or would you use extra reinforcement such as splines across the brake? Thank you. That's from Joe in Denver. It depends on the angle of the brake, how much gluing surface area there is. It depends on the you know how, how well things are fitting together. It depends on a lot of factors. If I can get things to fit together really well, and if there's a lot of gluing surface area, I will do a hide glue, hot hide glue, uh, only fix on that. And that's that's hmm. the goal. That's my goal. Even on a headstock. Yes. And the, because if that thing opens up again, <clears throat> hide glue works well okay. with old hide glue. Yep. So you don't have to get in there and surgically remove every little shred of glue. With a dental pick. Uh, so that's that's what I opt for is um, a good fit with plenty of 
gluing surface area and hot hide glue. If you if you don't have good surface area and if you don't have a good fit, then yeah, you have to do some kind of either spline or overlay or something, and then that's that's a that's a completely next level. Yeah, that's reconstructive. Repair. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, good Joe. One. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music. You can order a neck straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I, think it, I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they're $7.49 I know that seems like a lot it's it's a tool I tell you what it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over if you go to playersgearmusic.com scroll down on the main page scroll 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 down to where it says fan of the fret files podcast you click that that adds one to your cart and it's 50 bucks off. So instead of 749, it's 699. 699, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron. Playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Hey guys, I'm Cody with Apex Coffee Roasters. I wanted to give a few pointers on how to brew the best possible coffee at home. First thing you're going to need to make great coffee at home is great coffee. So whether you have Apex or one of the other many delicious roasters out there, having great coffee is definitely step number one. Step two is having a a good consistent grind um, through that coffee where each particle is relatively the same size is going to be really important to your overall extraction. Once the coffee is ground, uh, it starts to lose its aromatics and its quality fairly quickly. So grinding immediately before brewing is the most ideal situation. Tip number three is 99-ish percent of your coffee, what you're going to be consuming is made up of the water that you brewed with. So having high quality brew water is definitely essential to the overall taste of that coffee. If you have water filtration, that is gonna be significantly better than just using straight tap water. If you follow the first few guidelines of using high quality coffee, making sure your grind is correct, using good brewing water, those are all going to ensure that just a basic coffee maker um, is actually going to give you a really good tasting cup. Okay guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, order coffee from apexcoffeeroasters.com and we'll see you soon. Thanks. That's good coffee. If you order Apex Coffee online, make sure to use our promo code PINUP. That's P-I-N-U-P. That way they know that the Fret Files podcast sent you and you get 10% off. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my question last week. I have another what's up with that for you. Any idea why Fender chose to use a seven and one quarter inch fingerboard radius? Was there any precedent for this in the guitar world before Fender? That's kind of an interesting question. I'm curious why they went with this versus something a bit flatter like Gibson had been doing and why they stuck with it for so long. As far as I know, pre-1980s, the Telecaster Deluxe was the only model to use a flatter fingerboard radius and bigger frets. Thanks for keeping the show going. You're still the only podcast like this that I know of, and I really appreciate it. Chris from Michigan. Thanks, Chris. I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say um, that, uh, you know, Leo was big with Western swing guys Mm -hmm. and, and talked to a lot of guitar players when he was kind of doing, you know, research and development. And I think that my guess is what happened is that these guys would say, 
a nice curve in the fingerboard radius makes it easier to cord. That's my guess. Hmm. I don't know. I really don't know because if I've, if I've read about it, then I've forgotten about it. So I really don't know, but I don't know that that is an interesting thing to say because I don't know of another company before Fender that, that was using such a round fingerboard radius. You know, they're usually like 10 or 12 or yeah, like Dan Electro and and, flat. Yeah. And. Gibson and well, I guess Dan Electra was after Fender technically, but yeah, huh? Gibson Martin, yeah, much flatter. So I don't know. Yeah, interesting observation. Okay, hey guys, question about a 1971 Guild F30 NT I was given by my father-in-law. It's by far my favorite acoustic that I own. However, before it came to me. It had been living in my father-in-law's basement for decades. Uh, Let's see. He's the original owner and gave me the purchase receipt. In addition, my sister-in-law had it for a couple of years until I found it leaning up against her furnace in the basement. Yeah, where else? And I just simply grabbed it and told her I was going to keep it from now on. Needless to say, it came with some issues. The biggest issue was unplayable action. Now, before... I. Before I knew anything about vintage or trying to keep things as original as possible, a local repair guy sanded down the bridge to make it more playable. It worked, but it's still not as good as it could be. I'm wondering if you could give me some advice. Is this particular 50-year-old guitar worth much? Eh. Did sanding the bridge down kill any value? It has a few cracks that need some TLC for sure, but it is, but is a neck reset a good idea? I play professionally every week and weekend, and there are just a few times when I have to keep it in the case because I it just doesn't play as nicely as my other acoustic. But I would love to play this one as much as possible. I would love your expertise on the value and whether or not it's work, worth a neck reset to get it playing as perfectly as possible. Love your podcast. Thanks so much for any help. That's from Phil. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Phil. Uh, the value on that, I'm guessing, is somewhere around fifteen hundred to two thousand bucks. That's my guess. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've looked it up on the internet and seen similar guitars for sale. The problem with guilds <clears throat> is that doing a neck reset on them is very difficult, and that's what you need on that guitar. Just oh. I can tell from your description. That's why that other guy sanded the bridge down because that's what you do. When you have a bad neck angle, but you don't want to fix the the real yep. problem, yeah. So, so you um you bypass it, you sidestep it by sanding the bridge down. You know they they'll lower the saddle as much as possible, and it's still not enough. So you sand the bridge down so you can get the saddle even lower, right? To compensate for the fact that the neck angle is too shallow. So, uh, it needs a neck reset with guilds. They they really weren't made to come apart. If you look at the back end of the heel on a guild, it doesn't have a nice, like, big surface area for you to push against to remove that neck. It has just a little little half-moon sliver. Oh. Get, getting those off is really hard. Plus the fact that um, they typically, the ones that I've tried to take apart, not only do they put glue on the dovetail part, but they put glue all the way up on the cheeks where the where the butt end of the neck is meeting the sides of the guitar. Thorough. Thorough and really, really problematic to take the thing off. So guild neck resets are not my favorite. In fact, I'll often turn them down because they're they're not fun to do, very difficult. But it is worth having done if it's your favorite guitar and it's sentimental and maybe some kind of family heirloom for you. And it can be done. Yep. But um, you're probably looking at five, six hundred bucks to have to have that done. Because not only do you need a neck reset, now you need a new bridge. Yep. Because that other guy sanded the bridge down. Yep. Yeah. And it does hurt the value. It'll have a replaced bridge. But it's just a piece of rosewood. A new bridge can be fashioned that will be virtually indistinguishable from the original bridge, right? So it can be done, but uh, that's that's the news. Right on. 
Thanks, Phil. Good one. Hi, Eric. I have a long question for you about a neck and frets. Well, every question for this episode is like five paragraphs. I know. I was maybe uh, maybe maybe I was, let's I was get trying in. to send you. Uh, yeah, let's get a little bit more concise in our questions here, guys. Well, I was also trying to say, man, I got things to do, and then watch what the guy comes up with here. Uh, about a neck and frets. Apologies to your co-host who has to read it. Oh, there you go. That's you. Man. Do you want me to read one? I can read one. <laughs> Let me read one and you answer it. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just on? say, I don't know, man. This ain't going to work. This is a bad idea. You want to? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank through this. You're going to read quick. it? Okay. I'm a consummate professional. All right, go for it. I got it. this. Okay. I have a 1999 Mexican Fender 72 Tele Thin Line reissue. That's a mouthful, I know. Hey, this guy and I are getting along great. That needs some fret work done. I can't tell the difference between his asides and your asides. I know. That's what I'm saying. We're symbiotic. That's what I'm saying. this guy. (laughs) This is a guitar I'll never sell. It was my first real guitar. I love parenthetical statements. It has a three-bolt maple neck with a seven and a quarter inch radius and vintage size fret wire, bullet truss rod, glossy poly finish. I'm the original owner, and I've never had the frets dressed or anything, and they're showing divots near the nut and flat spots everywhere. I recently had a well-respected shop in town consult on it. They told me that a fret level is not recommended because they'd end up super low. Also, because the poly finish was applied after the frets were installed, uh, they went up both sides of the frets and makes it a big-time pain to refret and refinish and that some larger fret wires wouldn't fit. This led me to believe it'd be a big it would be big time bucks to have it worked on. Ideally I'd like to have a fresh set of 6105 frets. As far as I can tell, these are my these are my options. It's got bullet points. I like this guy. Have the guy just do the refret. Buy a new three bolt, three bolt replacement neck from Fender that only comes with vintage size frets and deal with it. Buy a custom three bolt neck from Warmoth, sight unseen. Uh, and have the repair guy fill and drill the body to convert it from three bolt to a four bolt and get a new four bolt neck. I want to do it as affordably as possible, so I'd love your professional opinion. It seems Mm. to me like the three-bolt attachment really limits the aftermarket replacement options. A general discussion of three-bolt versus four-bolt fender necks might be interesting for a history corner segment. He capitalizes, he correctly uses the ellipsis, and he... Okay, Nat. Yeah. Thanks for your help. Reel it in, Nat. (laughs) Thanks for your help and for sharing your knowledge with all of us every show. Carl in Minneapolis. Thanks, Carl. So... This is not as big of a deal as you uh, believe. Refretting that neck is not that big of a deal. They, they told you that he it was would, led to believe. They, they told you that it that it would probably need to be refinished. Uh, refin, I think, is that what yeah. he said? Yeah. Um, I've done a ton of those, and I don't have to. You don't have to refinish it. You just don't. Just put in new frets. It can be done without refinishing it. I've done it a million times. So, uh, if I were you, I would have that neck refretted. This is not a big deal. Yep. Um, I guess if you're unhappy with the neck and you'd rather get a replacement, you can, but that's what I would do. I would tell you, get it refretted. And there's, you know, I've run into shops before where they want to turn small problems into big problems. And I'm not saying that that's what, that this yeah. shop is doing it's possible i don't know i know there's a guy uh oh here we go i won't even say <laughs> I, let me just tell you that i've just i've run into this before where you take a guitar to a guy and they're like oh we're gonna have to refinish this whole thing here and this and that yeah. you know where if you if you take it to me i don't like i don't want to do more work than it needs right you want to replace the frets? Let's replace them. I yeah. don't want to refinish the fingerboard. You got other stuff to do. So, um, no, it doesn't need to be, the fingerboard won't need to be refinished. And what about the question that some larger fret wire wouldn't work? Is there any? It will. Okay, good. Yeah. So he could have 6105 frets all sure. he wants. Yeah, just do the refret. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Appreciate that, Carl. If they won't do it, you wanted to send it to me, you could email me. I mean, I, you know, it's something you I fix guitars. Yeah, this is something I do. So, well, good. Because uh, this is, really is, and you know, not that big of a deal. Okay, thanks, Carl. Good one, Eric. You have mentioned that you prefer to play slightly microphonic pickups. I have never played with that type of pickup. Can you please describe how you play your guitar to prevent and control feedback or squeal? That's from Bruce in Seattle. Hi, Bruce. You probably have played a guitar with slightly microphonic pickups if you've played many guitars at all, because, you know, quite a few guitars have that. Um, The reason I'm able to play slightly microphonic pickups with no feedback or squeal is that I don't use distortion. I don't use gain. I don't use pedals of any kind. I don't use distortion. I want a guitar plugged into an old tube amp and turn the thing up. And that's the sound I like. And slightly microphonic pickups um, used properly, right? So no... In the right application. In the yeah. right application uh, will give you great sustain without needing uh, the 9-volt powered, you know, floor pedal. The stomp box, yeah. Because I those actually... Like we, I saw a guy play a week ago, and they, he sounded great, and then he stomped on this pedal, and his tone just went away. <laughs> just, pew. yep. And all of a sudden, it sounded like vanished. Yeah, like when somebody tries to play you some music on their phone, on their and it's coming, it's coming <laughs> out of a speaker like the size of a. That is know, exactly what it sounded like. A pit guard screw head, you know. Yep. Uh. So yeah. I don't use gain. I don't use distortion. I use a Telecaster-style guitar plugged directly into a vintage amp and turn the, turn the amp up, and then it gives you kind of this verge of feedback um, tone, and there's some natural distortion in the tubes, right, and some comp- natural compression going on. Well, you, you got this harmonic resonance yeah. from that, that microphonic, yeah. which is the physical... Um, feedback instead of the acoustic feedback that yeah. you're thinking of as a squeal. Yeah. And in my mind, and I don't know if this is real or if it's just in my mind, but when you've got a pickup that is slightly microphonic, it's amplifying the acoustic properties of the guitar yeah. as much as it is the electrical... The mechanical ones, the, yeah. The mechanical, the, the, the magnetic property of the string, right? Yeah. That's the deal, That's why Bruce. You like it. Are we done? We no, oh we're my not gosh, done. we have more. Yeah, no, but we've I'm... been going way too long. All right, let's do it. Let's finish it up. All right, stand by. Hi, Eric. I finally installed your broadcaster pickup set for my telly. Oh, I had to. So this was this was emailed to me, not really specifically for the podcast, but I threw it in because it's a good because I can. Okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah. So now now you're excited. Uh, let's see. I got your broadcaster pickup set, and I installed it. I think you are a genius when it comes to winding tele pickups. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice. Uh, my former tele pickups are Blackguard set by oh, I redacted, redacted the <laughs> which are often said that uh, one of the best tele pickups. Well, often said to be one of the best tele pickups on the earth. Wow, I was satisfied. Uh, the sound of the black with the sound of the blackguard set. So I hadn't installed your set, but I took my telly for repair and consulted the repairman. And he said, if you don't like them, I'll reinstall the old blackguard set. Easy. So I had finally decided to install your pickups. The result is very good. Your set has better sound and it is not a slight difference. Thank you very much for making such great pickups. Your pickups are not a cheap price, but considering its quality, its quality, your pickups are definitely a bargain. That's from Yuya in Japan. Yeah. He also says, by the way, I bought a Blackguard reproduction guitar strap made by Melissa from Melco Leather, and the repairman said, cool. That's a quote. Yeah. Thanks, Yuya. All the, all the way from Japan. I know. I appreciate that, man. That that Well, that's neat. I didn't know you made specific Blackguard well, sometimes somebody will email me and say, hey, I really want X, Y, or Z. Like they'll say, I really, you know, I really am after the 1949, like prototype, you know, 
And, Hellcaster. And they know yeah. uh, a, a, lot, a lot of the research, which has been done by Nacho Baños, uh, Whoa. They, they know that they used Alnico 3 magnets in the bridge pickups of the early, early pickups, but they used Alnico 5 in the neck pickup. Hmm. I don't know why, but they did. So when somebody tells me, hey, I want a, an early style, uh, like a broadcaster pickup, then I use Alnico 3, and that's a couple other differences, but yeah. So if somebody emails me and wants something specific, I can do that. But yeah, I just slipped that in because it was such a glowing, uh, oh yeah, you know, endorsement, man, endorsement for, all the way from Wonderful. Japan. Gold star for Yuya mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Uh, we got one more. The fair state of Colorado. No greeting. Just just leads off. The fair state of Colorado is banned. Naphtha exclamation point. Is there anything you like as a substitute, or do I need to go on a road trip and sneak it across state lines? Allegedly, he says. Thank you. That's from Brian. This is like that Coors mm. beer, man. They used to sneak it across state lines, they claim. Thanks, Brian. Um, I can't, I find it hard to believe that they've done that. Is that true? I need to Google this. Stand by. Naphtha, Colorado. Banned in oh, no. Oh, yeah. I wonder. Yep. What if you get some sterno or some so terrible Col- stuff? Colorado's law against huffing. Oh, snap. That's toxic terrible. Vapors. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so many toxic vapors. Apparently, it's a thing in a lot of states. Oh, boy. You can't get naphtha. Well, it, hmm. what are we going to do? Well, go to Amazon and order it. That's That would be my suggestion. But uh, if you can get Ronsonol, lighter fluid, my understanding is it's the same thing. Well, th- yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, isn't there are probably substitutes that don't say naphtha? They say, like, canned heat or some nonsense. I'm pretty sure Ronsonol is just naphtha. Are you going to research this on the spot? Ronsonol and naphtha. Never in the same room together. Uh, Is Ronsonol lighter fluid naphtha? (laughs) Click. Apparently other people ask this question as well to the great Google machine, which, which knows everything. Yeah, the first guy to utter anything about it, we're going to take it as gospel, too. So Some loser on the internet says, no, it hasn't been naphtha for years. Unsupported assertion on the Zippo, internet. Zippo bought Ronson, Ronsonol in 2010 and changed the formula so it no, no longer contains naphtha. This is like some... I don't know if that's true. Yeah, that's, that's some classic internet stuff right there. I don't know, but... Uh, you could probably look at the ingredients and see. Um, I don't know. I, it, what I'm saying is, order it online. You sh- you know, yeah. maybe not from Amazon. Maybe you can't because they're getting pretty savvy about all that. You know, they charge you a state appropriate tax. I don't and know. And they, I wonder. Yeah, it, it, here's one thing you might want to look into, Brian. Um, I wonder if there are some substances that are banned in Utah that you could exchange at the border with a friendly greeting. Yeah. Work out some sort of exchange. Yeah. I don't know. Rack your brain. See if you can think of some. Well, that does it for this show. We better shut her down. I, uh, I've had all I can take. and uh, I apologize for my role in that. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. So we forgot to do any commercials. I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to go back and insert them and yep. insert the commercials. Well, I can't be around that kind of commerce, man. We'll figure it out. It damages my brain. We'll figure it out. That does it for the show. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, my my condolences. Uh, I, pre- I appreciate everyone who participates. And uh, if you want to participate in the show, you can submit a question or comment. Go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. Mm-hmm. 
The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. That's 757-774-8482. And leave me a voicemail or send me a text, and I'll use that as part of the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.